Hi, welcome to Love Faith Talkers. We are here to talk about the topics that matter to real life Christians just like you. Topics like anxiety, fitness, loneliness in church, Christians in the workplace, depression, and even food. We interview psychologists, preachers, businessmen, and businesswomen, and people just like you. We're here to help you find the hope, inspiration, and courage you need to live your life the way God intends. As an empowered, thriving Christian. Hey everyone, it's just me this week. Thanks for hanging in there when my awesome wife isn't with us. And I know that there are some of you that the main reason that you tune into this podcast is just to hear her voice, and I don't blame you. But you'll get to hear it again shortly because she'll be back with us soon. But today, I want to talk a little bit about biblical philosophies. Now, this would include systematic theologies and hermeneutics. Don't let those big words intimidate you. Uh, Systematic theology is simply a system for studying God, and hermeneutics is how to study the Bible. Now, how you approach these two topics can drastically impact your view of God, your interpretation of the Bible, and how you live your life. So they're very important. And today, what we're going to cover here are some basic rules of thumb for your biblical philosophies, some pitfalls to avoid, and we're going to give you some direction for how to choose materials for your biblical philosophies. So again, just a reminder, when you hear me saying biblical philosophies, I'm including both systematic theology and hermeneutics in there. I may sometimes go back and forth and interchange them. That's just how that's going to be. So let's go ahead and start off with some rules of thumb, just some some basic general things you want to keep in mind. First of all, uh, your philosophies need to be based on several assumptions. Uh, They need to be based on the assumption that firstly, God is real. You say, really? There are systematic theologies out there that don't assume God is real? Yes. As strange as it may sound, there are. Um, There was a huge push at one point to try to divorce morality from the existence of God, and that's just literally not possible. That's not the way it works. Um, so you got to start from there. Then you need to, uh, have your philosophies be based on the assumption that God is knowable. Now, see a person who believes that God exists, but doesn't believe God is knowable is what we call an agnostic. Um, also agnostics are people who believe God exists, but they don't know if he is knowable or not. But the person needs to believe that God is knowable. And thirdly, that God has communicated with mankind about what to think and how to live. Because if God hasn't communicated with mankind, whether he's real or not, whether he's knowable or not, it's kind of irrelevant. You've got to start with that very, very basic premise uh, in order to move on from there. Now, the good news is most of your systematic theologies are going to tick off all three of those. Secondly, your philosophies should be based on the Bible itself, not the works of Bible scholars. This is very, very important. Why? Well, because men make mistakes. Seriously, we do. We all do. I make mistakes. Um, Your pastor makes mistakes. I don't care who it is. You make mistakes. Whether we want to admit it or not, all humans make mistakes. And there could very easily be a situation where you find yourself in where you've got this idea and you're really sticking to it. And you know what? It ends up not being biblical. But that right there is exactly why you can't elevate the opinions of Bible scholars, whether that be a um, Bible commentator or a person who has written a book. You just can't put that above the Bible itself. Um, the other, Another reason why is because men have biases. 
I am always nervous by a person who thinks they don't have biases. We all have biases. And a really honest person will admit that they have biases and also have biases that they probably don't know they have. We do. Like, for example, I'll give you some of my biases. Hey, uh, I believe God's real. That's a bias I have. Uh, it's born through personal experience and it's born through my studies. So I have that bias. Um, I also happen to believe that the Bible should be interpreted literally unless there's a good reason not to. That's a bias I have. I'm going to lean to that end. I have things over the years that through my experience and study that I lean toward. It's a bias. And some biases are based in accuracy, but biases can skew things. So you got to remember that. And thirdly, men aren't God. We're not God. God is the one who is in charge. He is higher than we are. He knows everything when we do not. And that is why we need to let the Bible be the basis of our uh, both our systematic theologies and our hermeneutics and not the other way around. Your third rule of thumb is actually what I just said. Generally, the Bible should be taken literally unless there is a good or obvious reason not to. Now, this is, this is really a huge thing. It's one of the major differences between, say, um, Catholicism and uh, Baptist and Protestants and things of that nature. It's also a huge difference between uh, a lot of Jehovah's Witness uh, ideology versus Christian ideology. And it really can mess things up. Now you say, what do you mean about literally unless it's there, there's some obvious reason not to? Well, I'll give you an example is if you're being told you're being told a parable. If it's a parable, clearly you're not supposed to be taking it literally. You're supposed to be learning a lesson. A parable is kind of like Aesop's fables or something like that, where it's an illustration that's used to drive a point home. But I'm going to give you an example of something that for that, that the Jehovah's Witnesses like to say is a parable, which isn't a parable. They want to take something not literally that is literal. literal. And that's in Luke, whenever it talks about Lazarus and the rich man. Okay. And when, when, whenever we're hearing about Lazarus and the rich man, they want to say, well, see, it's just a parable. He's telling a story. Why don't we think that the, uh, the recounting of Lazarus and the rich man is a parable? Because there's one massively key difference between that and every other parable Jesus told. And it's the fact that Jesus used a proper name. Jesus never used a proper name in one single of his parables. Not one. He did here. This is a literal thing that is being talked about. Otherwise, we just have to be aware that some things are not literal, but most of it should be taken literally unless there's just something cueing in or cluing us in that it shouldn't be. Because uh, otherwise, if, if it's just up to our interpretation about what's not literal, we can see something we don't like and say, well, you know, didn't actually mean that. that He was, he, he was just doing a parable or, or that's just uh, hyperbole. Okay, unless it's really clear that that's the case, it probably should be taken literally. Now, if you can keep this one principle in mind above all else, you will avoid a lot of errors and traps. Really, you will. Because seriously, there are some philosophies and, and, and parts of, of uh, like hermeneutics, for example, that they're different, but it's not necessarily going to drive a huge difference in the way you live your life. I'm going to give you another example of one of those. Um, one example is, and this this is this is what I believe. I believe that the central, all important event of the Bible, what everything in the Bible is leading up to, is the rule of Christ on Earth. God created the Earth for His glory. 
for his honor and to create a kingdom over which he ruled. And I believe everything is leading up to that day. Now, some people believe that the central point of all scripture is the cross. And that's understandable why they believe that too. Now, will this um, interpretation jade your opinion or bias your opinion of certain passages of scripture? It might a little bit. But in all practicality, it's probably not going to make that big of a difference to the way you live your daily life. So if you happen to believe, like I do, that it's about the establishment of the kingdom of God, or if you happen to disagree with me and you say, no, 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 it's about the cross and Jesus dying on the cross, that's okay. Even though they're different, it's probably not going to be that great of a difference in the practicalities of how you live your lives. So those are some general rules of thumb. I'm just going to repeat them really quickly. Your philosophies need to be based on the assumptions that God is real knowable and communicated with mankind about what to think and live. Your philosophies, your philosophies should be based on the Bible itself, not the works of Bible scholars. And generally, the Bible should be taken literally unless there's a good reason not to. So those are just some basic rules of thumb. And I mean, that's really, really basic because systematic theology, it's one of the, when I was in college, it was one of the harder classes. And uh, I really relish the fact that I managed to be one of the very few students in that class to ever get a hundred from a man who does not give out one hundreds. I yeah, it was awesome because this it was interesting, but it's hard too. So just be aware of that. And I'm not saying that to be proud. I'm saying that to say that I really enjoyed systematic theology. I like deep thinking about the scripture, but you've got to be careful that your thinking doesn't supersede the scripture, which I'm kind of, that, that actually leads us really well into the pitfalls to avoid. And we got several of these. There are a lot of pitfalls you want to avoid. The first is you need to avoid biblical philosophies written by unsaved men. Uh, you know why? Because without the Holy Spirit, we're unable to discern spiritual things properly. People are going to look at things and not get it. Think about when Philip was sent into the desert to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's sitting there and he's reading the scriptures and he's reading Isaiah and Philip says, hey, do you understand? And he's like, no, how can I understand unless I have some man to come tell me? He didn't have it right. Uh, think of Apollos, who only knew about uh, John the Baptist and that situation. And he was doing everything he could in that knowledge, but it wasn't complete. And what he was preaching was an incomplete gospel because he didn't know about Christ. Once he was shown Christ, he was able to completely uh, and accurately portray the scriptures. And if you are reading something by an unsaved man or unsaved woman, I guess, I mean, we could write that stuff too. There's just generally not as much of it out there. Um, they're not going to be able to properly understand scripture because the Bible does tell us that the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals spiritual truths to us. Another pitfall to avoid, your biblical philosophies should be held as general principles as opposed to absolute rules. Okay, that is also very important. And, and you say, but but why? I mean, if this is going to influence the way that I view God and the way that I study the scripture, scriptures, then why would I not want it to be absolute rules? Well, what if there's an error in the philosophy somewhere? What if there's a portion of it that's not accurate? If you bind it all up as a rule, then one of two things is going to happen when you come to an error in your philo philosophical uh, system. Number one, you're either going to ignore the error and keep driving on right past it, embracing the error which is frankly stupid, or you're going to dump the whole system, which is also not wise, because I doubt the whole system's bad, and we'll, we'll come up on that later. Uh, but seriously, what, what if there's an error? Also, you need to let the scriptures form and correct your philosophies, not the other way around. If the Bible disproves your philosophy, then alter it. Um, it's really, really big. We claim 
I'm a Baptist and a lot of my friends are Baptist, obviously. And one of the key claims of a Baptist is that the Bible is our sole authority, except for a lot of Baptists, the Bible isn't the sole authority. It's actually uh, either a teacher or a pastor or a college or a system of theology or hermeneutics or something like that. Look, the moment the Bible says something differently from what we believe, we need to have the humility to change it and not the foolish arrogance to keep pushing through with something that isn't accurate. Let the Bible alter us, not the other way around. Next pitfall to avoid. You need to have a healthy amount of philosophical doubt. Now, some of you right now just about had a coronary. Please get off the ground and you need to take 10 deep breaths or whatever. Check your pulse rate. It's okay. It's okay. Philosophical doubt is not the same thing as doubt. Okay, I'm not telling you to doubt the Bible. You say, well, what's philosophical doubt? Philosophical doubt is refusal to blindly believe what you were told and to have healthy questioning about it, not skeptical doubting. Um, what it means is that you're going to really investigate fully the claims that are laid before you, meaning you need to look for errors and you need to confirm their accuracy or their inaccuracy. Now, my wife and I, um, when she was in college, and we're, we're actually going to talk about this a little bit later on about how you can read scientific studies and learn which ones actually prove something which is versus which ones don't. But the same thing is true in, in scripture. But what would happen is we would read these um, studies for her class. And one of the things we were supposed to do was check for variables. Did they control for variables? Because they would say, well, we set up this experiment and we would be thinking about the experiment. We would say, well, yeah, but did they control for this? Because this could actually influence the outcome. If they didn't take this into account, then what they're saying happened, it may not be, it may not be proven because they failed to account for this variable. The same thing happens in scripture. Whenever a person is sitting there and they're saying, yes, well, we know that this is true because this passage of the scripture over here says this. Okay, you need to check and make sure that scripture actually says that. You need to look at the context of it. You need to look at who 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 wrote it, who it was written to, under what circumstances it was being written, and to understand in that passage if it's even discussing something that is that is related to it. I can't tell you how many times over the years uh, I've seen people that just pulled from multiple passages of scripture and they ended up inadvertently, I believe, often um, doing what's called eisegesis, which is pushing their interpretation on the Bible because they think that they're starting from a conclusion and working backward. You should never start from a conclusion and work backward. You need to see if the Bible will bear out what is being taught and just let let the scripture prove itself to you. See, um, I tend to preach um, in a sense topically expositorily and that sounds weird and that's okay. If y'all don't know what the difference between those two things is, a topical sermon uh, is a sermon about a specific topic, literally. So like, okay, we're going we're, we're gonna to preach about um, salvation or we're going to preach about um, victory over sin or something. That's a topic. However, a person who is an expository preacher, uh, oh, let me back up. A person who is preaching topically will pull from all over the Bible normally because they almost always have to in order to teach the topic. But I tend to teach expositorily or textually, which are actually uh, similar. Um, and expository message is something where all the major points are pulled from one passage of scripture. And a textual is where all the major points are pulled from the main passage of scripture and the minor subpoints might 
possibly be derived from that passage and other passages if needed. But what I've seen over the years is that typically topical preachers, it's it's easy for them to eisegete. If you leave the passage of scripture you're in, you can very accidentally say the Bible says something it doesn't say. And the same thing is true of your systems of theology and your hermeneutics. So you just got to really investigate what you're reading. If they're making claims, really look it up. Don't just take their word for it. Why? Because you assume they're bad people? No, just because what we said before. Men make mistakes. Men have biases. It's okay. Just check it out. Here's another pitfall to avoid. Failing to gain other perspectives. Now, listen, this is huge. And once again, depending on who your pastor is, this could possibly cause someone to go into a tailspin and start jumping for your phone and trying to yank the earphones out right now. Look, most people don't have any idea what they're missing because they've never gained another perspective. How do you know if you're wrong if you won't look at what someone else is saying? Seriously. And the Bible gives us excellent examples of this. Think of the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, which means seen together. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke frequently cover the exact same materials, except what you'll notice is that there are variations in the different passages. Now, some people will try to look at those variations and say, see, see, the Bible is, is false because it's full of contradictions. No, the Bible's not full of contradictions. It's just that different people have different viewpoints. I'll give you a perfect example. Mark. The book of Mark was written by John Mark. That's the guy in the book of Acts that was with Paul and um, Barnabas. And he took off and didn't stick with them. And then Barnabas wanted to take him uh, on the next trip. And Paul said, I'm not taking that quitter with me. And Barnabas said, I want him to go. And they, they divided over it. And then later he ends up writing a gospel. Mark's gospel is the only gospel that mentions a guy who in the middle of the night jumps out of bed unclothed, grabs a blanket to cover himself, follows the, the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's kind of staking out what's going on. And then the soldiers come, take Jesus off. And in the melee, one of the soldiers spots him, goes for him and grabs a blanket. And he runs off into the night naked. Why is Mark the only one that happened? Well, this is a contradiction because neither Matthew nor Luke talk about this. No, Mark had a perspective that the other two didn't have. How could they have written about it? They didn't see it. Do you see why this is important when it comes to your philosophies, when it comes to your systematic theology, when it comes to your hermeneutics? Someone might have a perspective you don't. And it's important to get those. Now, you may look at someone else's perspective and go, no, it's wrong. Because it could be. But it also could be right. And it could deepen your understanding of the scripture. Um, you know, a, a simple practical uh well, not a practical, but a current, more current day example. This is the, the 2008 movie Vantage Point. I don't remember a ton about this movie. And so forgive me if there's anything bad in it. I can't remember. But I do know the thing about the movie Vantage Point is that it was a movie about an attempted assassination uh, attempt on the president. That's what it was. It was about an assassination attempt on the president of the United States that failed. And in this, they keep showing the story from different perspectives. So as you watch it from one perspective, you come to one conclusion. You know, here's the Secret Service agent. As we're following the Secret Service agent, okay, so it looks like it was this person. But then it shifts to like another person in the crowd and they see something different. All of a sudden you're going, oh, wait a minute. Now I thought it was person A, but now I'm not so sure it was person A. And then it shifts to a third perspective. Oh no, it was definitely person A, but what person B was involved. Then it moved to another, and it went through multiple perspectives. And by the end, you were completely on a different track than you were at the beginning. 
Why? Because of someone else's perspective. It's okay to take in someone else's perspective. If the Bible is your starting point, whenever you take their perspective, you should expose every perspective equally to the word of God. If the word of God bears it out, you believe it. If it doesn't, you dump it. Now, here's another one. This is a big mistake that's made in in systematic theologies and in hermeneutics, believing you're the only one who has the truth. Look, if you are the only one or part of an extremely minuscule minority who believes something, you need to be very, very cautious. Many, many cults were started that way. Uh, Mormonism was started that way. Jehovah's Witnessism was started that way. Mormonism is really a better example because the Mormons literally believed that Joseph Smith was told by uh, God and uh, his his son, because they don't believe that Jesus is God. He's a God. It's a very confusing religion. I don't want to get into it right now. But he, they were told that all of the Christian churches were apostate, and he was the only one who who could believe the truth and bring it back. Look, man, if you're looking at something in the Bible and you're you this guy you're reading is the only person who is saying this, and no one else is saying for it. I'm not saying they're wrong, but I am saying be really cautious about it. Here's another one. Beware of basing your theology on a single verse. That's right. If there's only one verse, you need to be careful. Now, again, it doesn't mean you're wrong, but it could mean you're wrong. Um, I will give you a couple of examples on this. For one, um, my understanding of 1 Corinthians 7.1 has really changed over the years because of my study of that passage. Because it was on that passage alone that I based it that I shouldn't even physically like shake a woman's hand if I was at all interested in her. I mean, like at all interest, like if I even found her pretty, shouldn't shake her hand. But the more I studied the scripture, I realized I was misinterpreting it. I went back. I I, I looked at the words in Greek. Um, I, I looked at the manners and customs and, and what was going on contextually in Corinth at that church. And I came to understand that's ridiculous. And I'm really overblowing my interpretation of it. Why? Because I really, I really did not have a proper interpretation of it, but hey, that was based on one verse. So I needed to be careful. And by my investigation, I realized I wasn't exactly right. I wasn't completely wrong, but I also was plenty wrong. So that's a good example of someplace where I needed to make an adjustment. Now, another one is the fact that there is, to my knowledge, only one particular verse that calls the blood of Jesus, the blood of God. And yeah, that's one verse. But you know what? It is a verse that many have gone to the mat over. And some of you are probably too young to remember this or just young to the faith. But there was a big fight about 10, eh, not 10, closer 15, 20 years ago uh, on this topic where people would say, no, 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 no. When, when the Bible talks about the blood of Jesus, it, 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 it was just... It was just talking about his death. It's just, they were saying it's like, it was a metaphor or a metonym. It's a way of saying that it was a symbol of his death. It was his death. That was all that mattered. But no, the more you got into the scripture, you realized that it was the blood that mattered. And the only reason it mattered was because it was the blood of God. That's really, now again, there are supporting verses, but there's only one verse that actually says it. Kind of like the Trinity. There is only one verse which explicitly teaches the Trinity, which is 1 John 5, 7. Um, Again, there's a lot of verses that teach it implicitly, but not explicitly. So again, just be cautious about one verse because it doesn't mean you're wrong. You just need to go over that verse contextually 
You need to go over it with a fine tooth comb, and it might not be a bad idea to consult some other people. Always remember the Bible says that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So that, that's always a good idea. Here's another pitfall to avoid. Where good, godly people disagree, tread lightly. Tread lightly. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, if there are godly people who can read the same passage of Scripture and come to a completely different conclusion, then the Bible is not being dogmatic. And in those instances, we should not be either. Again, I'm not talking about like there's a person over there who clearly is bitter at God and he's reading this verse and this is the conclusion he's coming to. No, I'm saying like someone that you respect, it's clear they love God, they're saved, they're reading the scripture and they're they're coming to a different conclusion and they lay out their case and it logically makes sense, it scripturally makes sense. You may not agree with them, but it, you don't need to be dogmatic because you came to a different conclusion. Again, that's an important thing to remember. Here's another one. Uh, whenever it comes to, uh, uh, sorry, just because your systematic theology or hermeneutics has something in it you don't agree with all the way, it doesn't mean you should dump the whole system. Remember I talked about that earlier? Take the good parts, leave the bad parts, the erroneous parts, or the corrupted parts. But it doesn't mean you need to dump the whole system. There's probably a lot of good and accurate and great things in your system of theology. It's, it's just, you need to be balanced in your approach to it. Um, and don't be proud and look down on others who don't share your exact system of theology or hermeneutics. You're not better than them. Honestly, you're not. None of us are better than anyone else. And so we just need to be careful that we're not being lifted up in pride about it. So again, really quickly, just to review those pitfalls that I mentioned, um, you need to avoid biblical philosophies written by unsaved men. Uh, you need uh, Your biblical philosophy should be held as general principles as opposed to rules. You need to have a healthy amount of philosophical doubt. Um, failing to gain other perspectives is uh, an error. Believing you're the only one who has the truth is an error. Uh, you need to be aware of basing your theology on a single verse. Um, when good, godly people disagree, you need to tread lightly because it's an error to be dogmatic where the scripture is not. Uh, just because your system of theology or hermeneutics has something in it you uh, don't agree with all the way, it doesn't mean you should dump the whole system. Uh, and lastly, don't be proud and look down on others who don't share your exact system of theology or hermeneutics. That's just the reality. Maybe they can teach you something. Maybe you can teach them something. So those are some of the pitfalls. Now let's talk about how to choose materials. Because when I'm saying hermeneutics and systems of theology, generally you're going to either be talking about a book or you're going to be talking about some kind of uh, audio course or something like that. There's going to be something that has been put together by humans somewhere. So the first thing I would I would tell you about is just to remember that Bible bookstores tend to cater to an extremely wide demographic, which means that they often will have material in there that is completely opposite of what you believe. Just just be aware of that. And then, like I remember this one really big chain of Christian bookstores over the years. And I loved going in there. They had tons of great stuff, but they also had a lot of stuff that were specifically for Catholics too. And there's not really a lot of Catholic philosophy and theology that I agree with. I mean, like there's small portions of it that we're on the same page on, but I mean, it's really, really small. And you just need to be aware of that when you walk into like Bible bookstores, because in order to keep their doors open, I honestly, it's not surprising to me. A lot of them closed down. Everything was so expensive in there. But in order for them to keep their doors open as, as long as they, they did, they had to try to get it as broadly open as they possibly could. Uh, so you can go to Bible bookstores, but just, just be aware about what you're taking off the shelf. Now, Hey, here's a great idea. And this one's going to just like blow your mind. Ask your pastor or your spiritual mentor 
uh, if if they have any advice for you about what to get. And again, remember, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You start asking all these different people about things, and then they tell you, well, try this, try this, try this. And you're noticing a lot of agreement or a lot of warning in the same area. Well, pay attention to that. But they'll help guide you. They're supposed to. In general, your pastor is not a malicious fiend who is trying to secretly backdoor you into hell. That's not really the way that it works. They're, they're, they generally have your best in mind. Are there abusive pastors out there? Sure, there are. But there's also plenty of, of good godly men and spiritual mentors, um, godly women, who are just, they just want the best for you. Just get some advice on what they might use or what they've already used. Um, here's another one. Consider Bible college libraries. Uh, you can check them online. Um, and there's a lot of them out there. Uh, just remember that there are a lot of variability in Bible colleges. I mean, there's a huge amount of differences between just because they're Christian in the name or Baptist or whatever doesn't mean that they're identically on the same page. Now, there's a lot of things they could be uh, on the same page about, but it doesn't necessarily but it doesn't necessarily mean that you should believe everything or not believe everything. Once again, just do your homework into what where you're getting your source material from is what I'm trying to say. If you're looking online, so once you've kind of looked at what's out there and you're looking online, checking like Amazon and Goodreads. Goodreads is an excellent place to go once you know the names of um, books that you want to look up to study systematic theologies or uh, hermeneutics. Take the time to read the reviews. Slog through the arguments because especially on Goodreads, people will lay it out there. I liked this book because of this. And those are fine. But you need to actually check the one-star reviews. I know no one likes the one-star reviews because they're all negative. But those reviews can tell you a lot. I mean, I do this when I go to buy a, a product that's not biblically based in nature. Uh, just, you know, when I'm going through uh, to purchase. So, like, for example, right now I'm actually using a sound shield. And I read a lot of reviews on sound shields. And... I was looking for things where people said like cheap, chintzy, and people will say, oh, this model fell apart, but there's only one or two reviews that say that and everybody else loved it. I'm going, okay, no, that's not a thing. But if I were seeing something that said doesn't actually stop sound and there's about 37 one-star reviews that all say the same thing, okay, I'm paying attention to that. There's a consistent problem here. Same thing is true when you're reading through these resources here when you're seeing it and Everyone is saying the same negative thing about it. And if you're going, well, I agree, that's a problem. Don't get that book. Move on. Pay attention to the one-star reviews because it can tell you a lot. And again, if you don't see consistencies or, hey, maybe the thing that they're complaining about is actually the thing that you agree with. So maybe it'll confirm with you that way. But do pay attention to those things. And um, really... Uh, I just want to let you know that if you do have any questions about systematic theologies or hermeneutics or if if you have questions about a specific part of a biblical philosophy, please feel free to contact us. Uh, Nikki and me want to help you. And we really want to make sure that we're helping to steer you to the Word of God to let the Holy Spirit guide you. You're going to find that out about us. We're not big on telling you what to do. And we're not big on um, telling you what we would do. And if we do tell you what we would do, we'll often disclose it and say, look, this isn't the Bible. This is just us. We don't have a specific agenda other than to help you gain a more rich, vibrant relationship with God. You know, Jesus said in John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent.
look, if we can help you know God personally, then we have done our job as a, as a podcast, as Christians. And if you don't know God, then contact us for that as well. We would love to share the good news about Jesus Christ with you. Because you can't know God without knowing Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh. He was the way that God manifested himself to our world. And he is the path of salvation. So if you want to know more about that, contact us and we'll be happy to help you. But the overall review I want to give you right now about your your, your spiritual philosophies, your biblical philosophies, is just let the Bible be your guide, not the other way around. And be humble and trust the Holy Spirit to guide you. And if you have questions, ask them. Seriously, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. If you do want to ask a question, please feel free to reach out to us. Our email address is lovefaithtacos at gmail.com. That's lovefaithtacos at gmail.com. And hey, could you do us a favor? Could you ask someone you know if they've ever heard our podcast? Because if we've been a blessing to you, we really just want to try to help as many people as, as we can. Again, we're not making money off of this. We're doing this as a ministry to help other people. And this is really a big, important one, uh, what we talked about today. So, hey, share the show and uh, send your questions or show suggestions if you want us to do an episode on something to lovefaithtacos at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us on Love Faith Tacos. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If it was, we ask that you do three things. Number one, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Number two, please leave us a five-star rating and write a review if you can. And number three, please tell a friend because hope is just too important not to share.